song of the King. He the theme of heaven's praises, golden frill, humanity. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. Come behold the wondrous mystery, He the perfect Son of Man, in His living in his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hellbound man. Christ the great and sure fulfillment of the law. the Lord upon the tree in the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory see the price of our redemption see the Father's plan unfold bringing many sons to glory Unmeasured love untold. Come behold the wondrous mystery slain by death. The God of life, but no grave could ever restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering our hope. Christ in power resurrected as we will. What a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering our hope. Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he Good morning, everyone. It's a, a joy to be able to gather together and sing and hear from God's Word. If you're new here, my name is Jay. I'm one of the pastors. And we begin each of our services with a call to worship, a passage from God's Word to prompt us in our time of worship together. Would you stand with us as we begin our service together?
Um, this is an excerpt from Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8. Listen to these words. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On on God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Let's pray. O God, our hope is in you. You, our rock, our salvation. So we come this morning in the midst of struggles, in the midst of busyness, in the midst of exhaustion and weariness, we come to find our rest in you. God, may we trust in you this morning, in your character and in your power. Help us trust in your goodness to bring us through troubled times. You, God, in Christ. God, you've provided us the eternal rest we need. And even now, we, your children, we often toil to try to save ourselves. But we come together today not to practice a religion or to earn our salvation, but to simply rest in you, our salvation and our glory. God, help us to stir one another up in our faith as we sing together now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. soul finds rest in God alone, my rock and my salvation, a fortress strong against my foes, and I will not be shaken. Though lips may bless and hearts may curse, and lies like arrows pierce me, I'll fix my heart on righteousness I'll look to him who hears me Oh, praise him, hallelujah My delight and my reward Everlasting, never failing My Redeemer my soul in God alone amid the world's temptation 
nations when evil seeks to take a hold i'll cling to my salvation though riches come and riches go don't set your heart upon them the fields of hope in which i sow are harvested in heaven song last week. Um, this is a song called When Christ Our Life Appears, and, and I, I think it's it connects well with what we just sang about finding our rest in God. And 
we can find our rest in God because we have this hope that Christ is going to return. We don't have to sit anxiously, that we know that we have this confidence, this confident hope in Christ. And so we're going to sing this song about his return and all that he will do. And so I'd encourage you uh, to sing along as you're able to as we continue learning this song together. Sing together. When Christ our life appears, our hope will be complete. Our longings find the rest as we fall at His feet. When Jesus comes to reign, restoring everything, our tears will turn to tides of praises too. our life appears. When Christ our life appears, these trials that weighed us down will fade and fall away as He receives our crowns and death will disappear. Its rule and reign destroyed and meet the weight of glory and eternal joy. Christ our Savior, we'll behold the glory of our King forever, Christ our Savior, faithful turn 
seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to City Church. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community, walking with God in our city. It's great to be with you. We are kind of a, a church scattered right now. We have all kinds of things going on. People traveling, people doing summer abroad programs, weddings. We had a, we had a wedding last night in Orlando uh, featuring a, a City Church couple that was beautiful. And a lot of people talked a big game. They said, we're going to see you tomorrow. And I'm not seeing them right now. Um, but I'm sure they'll be at the 11 o'clock, definitely. Um, we would love to get to know you, and one of the ways that we do that is by putting a connection card in your bulletin. We would love it if you would fill that out, especially with your prayer requests, um, and then you can put those cards in the seat pockets in front of you. We pick them up after the service. We pray for you during the week. You can also drop those cards in the brown box sitting in the back of the sanctuary. Put your name on it if you want. Make it anonymous if you want. You can also use that card to communicate interest in the life of our church, our small groups, our uh, community engagement initiatives, all of that. Put it on the card. We're very responsive. We'll be in touch with you in a couple of days. We worship a generous God. Part of our responsive worship as the people of God is giving generously. You can give online, citychurchgnv.com slash give, or again, you have that brown box in the back of the sanctuary with some envelopes and some pins. Doing a lot of things this weekend, not just weddings. So right after the second service, or not this service, but after the second service at 1245, we are having two baptisms right out in the parking lot across the street from our church. So we fill up a Rubbermaid tub, we stick it in the parking lot, we gather around, we do the baptisms. One of the most delightful things, encouraging things we get to do life of the church. It's spiritually nourishing, obviously, for the people being baptized, but also richly encouraging for us as a church family. So um, even if you weren't planning on it, plan on it. Change all of your plans. Be here at 1245. Bring your kids. Uh, enjoy the baptism. The people eating outside at Lucy's uh, will also enjoy the baptism. Everyone's going to get to enjoy the baptism. Um, so that's right after the second service at 1245. We also have an outreach team that does ministry at least once a month, mainly relational ministry, goes out into downtown and has conversations, builds friendships with people that are, who are our neighbors, who um, don't have homes. That outreach is this afternoon. So you could go to the baptism, and then you could go be a part of that outreach. We have a team of people who ha are already trained. They're already going to be meeting um, at 1.30, I think it is, in the sanctuary, so right here. But if you're thinking, man, I would love to be a part of this. I have a heart for uh, homelessness, and I want to be a part of this team, just come early. Come at like one o'clock, basically right when the baptisms have ended. You can come in here. People from the team will train you. They'll get you up to speed, and you can go out with them, and you can have um, conversations. And also, if you're not able to join them, I would definitely encourage you to be praying over all of that as well. Um, I'm going to say this a few times. Um, you'll see why in a second, but this is the last weekend that we are live streaming our Sunday services, something we've been doing for the past couple of years for very obvious reasons. If you don't know why, talk to me after the service. I'll fill you in. Um, and I want, the reason that I'm talking about this now is we've had several volunteers who have given a lot of their time and energy to learn that whole system and to provide it very faithfully. You don't really see or hear from them, but they are doing very faithful work that's blessed a lot of people. Um, so I just want to honor them. Some of them are standing in the back right now. Uh, so I want to say thank you. You can clap for them. Please do. 
Yeah, and we have these two cameras that are discreetly uh, mounted on the back of the wall that you probably ever, never even noticed. That's how um, behind the scenes everything is, but we use them. So starting next Sunday, we'll continue to record uh, the video and the audio of the sermon, and we will post that online after the conclusion. So you'll still, if you're not able to make it on a Sunday morning, um, there won't be a live stream, but we will still be posting um, the video and the audio of the Sunday morning sermon will go up very shortly after the first service, Lord willing. So, just want to let you know about that modification. During the summer, our rhythms change a little bit. Um, it's a season in which our community groups, which are kind of the relational backbone of our church, go on a break. Some groups go on a break from Memorial Day weekend through July 4th weekend. Some groups go on a longer break. Uh, not too late, so you have a couple of weeks. Jump into a community group. Get involved. We have information on that table. There are nine of them. All of these groups are open. They would love to have you. Even these next couple of weeks, you can make some connections, and then they'll go on break, and then they'll resume kind of a staggered restart. Some in July, and then some groups will resume in August. That's so that groups, the leaders and the hosts can rest. God bless them for their faithful hosting and leadership. They need to rest and recharge. Um, and then we also focus during the summer on um, training new leaders. So we have leader training that's going on even right now. So we're, we're training and placing new leaders. Uh, and then we do other things, unique things in our church that we do during the summer, kind of in place of community groups. One of those will be in June. We're having a singer-songwriting night at the 4th Avenue Food Park. We've done this before. This will be the second annual. Uh, you'll hear more about that soon. But we're also going to have uh, Bible studies going on for men and women. So the women thing, you know about that. We've been having studies for women for a long time. Uh, for the past couple of years, we've never really had a consistent men's study, but that is about to change. So you're going to hear briefly from uh, Kristen, who will be leading the women's study. She's going to tell you more about what that is and how you can be involved, and I'll say a few things about the men's study. Great. Yes. So my name is Kristen. I'm really excited to share with you about our women's summer study. It is a little different from what we have been doing in the past couple years, which is doing a, a book of the Bible each semester. And this summer, we're looking at, we're asking the question, can we trust the Bible? Um, how can we trust the Bible? And we're looking at how we have the confidence to know that the Bible is the true, authentic, and inspired word of God. So I'm really excited about this study because it's something that we need to know, something that we need to understand because we leave this building and we go outside and we interact with people who don't understand this. Um, and there's a lot of attacks against, this, against these principles um, and these truths. So um, the study guide that we're using is um, by a New Testament scholar. He's like super smart and knows all about this stuff. And there's not really much homework to this study this summer. So it's going to be super easy to jump in. And it's going to be on Zoom Monday nights from 8 to 9.15. And um, it's open to all women. Um, we've had some, we have had great success with our Zoom studies. Zoom is hard. It's not ideal, but it makes it possible for um, so many women to um, join us um, in these studies. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be on Monday nights again. So if you are interested in this, let me know. Ask me about it. I'll get you basically on my email list 
um, or sign your name, put your name on the connection card and write that you're interested on that. So if you have any questions, again, let me know. Thanks. Awesome. And that starts June 6th, right? June 6th. June 6th. We take a break on um, July 4th, um, and it's a six-week study, yeah, starting June 6th. Yep. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's celebrate each other a little bit here at City Church. Um, and then on June 7th, so that following Tuesday morning at 6.30 a.m., mm-hmm, and the community group begins the men's study. So you kind of got to want it. Either you got to want to go on Zoom, right, on Monday nights, or you want to come early. So we have a, a 6.30 men's study that's going to start. That'll be in person in the community room, 6.30 a.m. to approximately 8 a.m., uh, and that will run for six weeks. It's a study in First John. Um, the cost, I believe, for the workbook that they're going to be using is $5. And if you don't want to spend $5, I'll give you $5 because I want you to do this study. Um, and Zach Gutierrez is going to be leading it, and it's going to be absolutely fantastic. So women's study, June 6th, starting uh, 8 o'clock. Zoom, men's study, First John, community room, 6.30 a.m., starting on Tuesday. So you have a little bit of time to think about that. And community groups will be on break, so you're going to have all the time in the world to do this. And if you can uh, work schedule, say you can't go all the way till 8 a.m. on Tuesday morning, then come for 45 minutes, come for an hour. It's still worth it to be there for as long as you can and go often and do your thing. And for those of you that start work really early, we can't, we can't help you. Um, all right, our scripture passage this morning is from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses... 1 through 10, the passage will be up here on the screen. If you have a Bible, we would encourage you to pull that out and follow along with us. There are also blue Bibles in some of the baskets and the seats in front of you. You're welcome to grab one of those. You're welcome to take it home with you if you don't own a Bible. And if you're one of those live stream people that scrolls to the sermon and skips everything, or I guess like waits until the sermon or watches it later, and now you're just joining us, this is the last week we're doing a live stream. Um, so things are changing around here. We got you. Um, anyway, so we want to let you know this is the last week we're doing the live stream, um, and after this we're going to be posting our sermons online after the conclusion of the first service. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. If you are able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. Starting in verse 1, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited because of the, sur of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect 
and weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the true and authoritative word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, as this passage suggests, we're a collection of, of weak people and therefore in desperate need of the strengthening power of your spirit as we consider this text, that we might have a chance at understanding it and applying it and being rightly encouraged by it and convicted by it. Thank you for the timeliness of this text as we live in a world where a whole lot of us are acutely experiencing and, and feeling our weakness. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you are feeling personally quite strong these days, if you're feeling very strong, if you look in the mirror each morning when you get up and you think to yourself, yes, yes, look at this. If that's your disposition right now, congratulations are in order and this passage really isn't for you. So you can take this Sunday off. You can, I don't know, pull up Tetris on your phone, Bejeweled. I, don't, I have no idea what we're playing these days. Do your Wordle if you haven't done it yet. But a lot of us are feeling quite weak these days, aren't we? Maybe we can't present a list of difficulties that matches the list Paul describes at the end of chapter 11, I don't know, man, our difficulties are substantial these days, nonetheless. It's starting to feel a little bit Pauline. You know, two and a half years playing musical chairs with COVID, two and a half years arguing about COVID, significant seasons of illness, the deaths of family members and friends, disruptions at work, disruptions at school, canceled or significantly altered plans, racial tension, political tension, war, and rumors of war, inflation and other economic difficulties, many a sleepless night. We at least have that in common with Paul. And these difficulties, I mean, they have, they have depleted us physically. They've made us very anxious and uncertain. They've made us feel like shells of ourselves laid up on our couches at the end of the day, kind of doom-scrolling through Twitter. Well, apart from Christ, I honestly don't have much to offer you. I don't. I mean, maybe use your phone less and spend more time in nature. That might help. Maybe take up political advocacy and try to elect, you know, a, a strong candidate you believe will find solutions to these difficulties and better represent and elevate the interests of your group. Speaking of groups, now that we've fractured into, I mean, who knows how many tribes and, and sub-tribes, maybe try to raise your tribe's sail in such a way that it catches the winds of emerging cultural values and therefore advantages your tribe and keeps you from feeling humiliated. I mean, you could try all of that. But I don't think they're going to get you very far. I don't think they're going to get you as far 
as you might imagine. In Christ, though, here's the good news. In Christ, boy, do we have the goods this morning for weak people. I mean, if you are feeling weak and you're interested in Jesus, today is your day. So if you're feeling weak, if you're, if you're one of those people that you get up in the mirror and you, and you don't love what you're seeing, and thankfully you're here this morning by the grace of God, and you didn't even feel like coming. I mean, if, if you're feeling low and dispirited, I mean, get ready this morning for a, a whipped cream parfait on a hot day. Seriously. It's that refreshing. If you're doing the, if you're doing the noom thing, you know, or some other diet, get ready for a, I don't know, what, a feta watermelon salad on a, heart, on a hot day. Two exhortations this morning for weak people. Again, if you're feeling very strong, can't help you. But if you're weak, two exhortations this morning for weak people. Number one, God's grace is sufficient. And then number two, contentment is possible. So weak people, God's grace is sufficient and contentment actually is very possible. Let's get started with that first exhortation. Weak people, God's grace is sufficient. If you're just joining us, you mainly need to know that the Apostle Paul, who is the author of this letter, has, beginning back in chapter 10, carved out some dedicated space in this letter to push back against opposition that emerged in Corinth to his ministry and his message. He's doing so not for his own gain, for the sake of his uh, earthly reputation, but for the spiritual benefit of people in Corinth who are being led astray by these opponents, by these false teachers. These opponents were, were spiritual leaders, and Paul kind of sarcastically calls them super apostles, they were spiritual leaders who were proclaiming a different, as in false Jesus, and a different gospel. And they gained a hearing in large part by attacking, as you know, Paul's credibility. Paul, he's, this guy, he's a, he's a poor speaker, he lacks charisma, he's not much to look at, he doesn't dress the part, he suffers way, way, way too much. You know, for an apostle of the Lord, there's a line somewhere, and Paul is like way past that line. Or to put it another way, this guy Paul is weak. He's weak. And they were speaking that into a cultural moment that definitely valued strength. No better way to undermine someone's credibility than to say, this guy is weak. This guy, he is a loser. Paul has been responding to these criticisms in part by talking about the foolishness of worldly boasting and then very counterculturally by embracing or even boasting about his weaknesses, a list of which we discussed last week at the end of chapter 11. And again, boasting about weakness in the context of a Roman empire that valued strength and power and conquest did not make you relatable. And made you the object of ridicule. It was totally embarrassing. So why boast like this? Why this strategy in the face of opposition? We mentioned a few whys last week, but chapter 12 expands that discussion 
significantly and very powerful. In verse 1 of chapter 12, Paul returns to some of his worldly boasting, not because he thinks that such boasting has merit. He thinks it's foolish and even says in verse 1 that there's nothing to be gained by such worldly boasting, but for the sake of building an argument, as you'll see in a second, he, t- he continues in this kind of boasting anyway. And in this time, instead of boasting about his Jewish pedigree, which he did back in chapter 11, this time he boasts in the third person about his, his supernatural power encounters, about visions and revelations of the Lord. Look at verses 2 through 6. I know a man in Christ... I know a guy, as in himself, as you'll see, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up in the paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses, though... If I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. All right, so Corinthians, you think I'm weak? You accept these criticisms from my opponents? You think I'm weak? Well, check this out. Hmm? Fourteen years ago, I, excuse me, a guy I know, cough, cough, he spent some time in heaven, this guy. And there I heard things so wonderful that I can't even tell you about them. They're my secret. They're they're between me and the Lord. I'm not going to boast about those experiences that guy had, though, because, as you know, I only boast about my weaknesses. But, of course, if I wanted to boast about these experiences, I could certainly do so because they really did happen. But I'm not going to boast about that guy because I don't want you to think more highly of me than you ought, I mean of that guy, and focus instead on my ministry and conduct. And to make sure that I didn't become conceited about the surpassing greatness of these revelations, see verse 7, which confirms that Paul was indeed talking about himself in the third person, to make sure I didn't become conceited about the surpassing greatness of these revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. This is fascinating cosmic collaboration going on here, perhaps a bit like the collaboration we find in the book of Job. The Lord is ultimately the one giving Paul the the thorn in his flesh, which suggests some kind of physical affliction, although we can't be entirely sure. But this thorn is simultaneously a messenger of Satan, suggesting that that Satan himself is involved under God's sovereign authority in harassing Paul. And notice, church, that what comes through here the most is not the nature of of Paul's thorn, which is not entirely clear. There's all kinds of speculation about what it is. We just can't know. 
But what does come through very clearly is the severity of what Paul was dealing with. That's the focus of this text. The thorn had to be severe enough to knock Paul from his potential high horse after receiving divine revelation, which, let's be honest, would need to be a rather swift pick. I mean, imagine just how insufferable you would be at a dinner party if you had this kind of experience. Sounds like a wonderful visit to your aunt's house last Tuesday evening in West Palm. West Palm is beautiful this time of year. On Thursday, I was in heaven. I was spending time with the Lord, but I can't tell you about it. You would need a, a swift kick from the Lord to get you off of your high horse. Every single one of us would. And now consider that a messenger of Satan was involved with Paul's affliction. That's not ideal. And now consider, verse 8, that three times I, that is Paul, pleaded with the Lord about this, that it, the thorn, should leave me. Three times. And this is the same Paul who generally did not pay much attention to his earthly circumstances. And this is the same Paul who didn't record any prayers for circumstantial changes on behalf of the churches and the people he wrote to in his letters, as in, he didn't make it a habit of praying for their afflictions to end. And yet the thorn that Paul experienced here was so painful and so frustrating that he asked the Lord three times to make it stop. This is severe affliction. This is, this is weakness of the highest order. I can't prove this empirically, but I think folks who experience chronic pain, either physically or, or perhaps emotionally, such as through grieving or mental illness, can relate to Paul's experiences more than anybody. I am not sure there's anything more difficult on this earth than those kinds of chronic trials. The relentlessness is it's exhausting me, so disheartening. If that describes any of you, and I just looking out and knowing what you're going through, I know it does. You have the best shot of anybody in the room of understanding just how shocking and encouraging the Lord's response is to Paul's pleas. Verse 9, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. And weakness. I know what you're dealing with. I know it better than you know it, honestly. But my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We struggle to be kind to people who are experiencing weakness. We have our moments. But very often we struggle to be kind to people experiencing weakness. We're, we're gossipers. We can be very condescending. We can be interested in someone suffering for a minute, but in the cares of our own lives, kind of put that out of mind quicker than we'd imagine it ever would. I mean, my, my junior ball baseball coach, oh boy, whenever he perceived weakness, I mean, he yelled at us with this Brooklyn-born accent that's more memorable to me today than the actual season. 
this is how we respond to weakness. But God is so kind to weak people. He is so kind to weak people. He, he is mercifully kind. In fact, remember, remember Jesus' words to weak people in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. In other words, come to me, weak people, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God has this gracious, self-giving posture toward his children in which he beckons us not to simply, you know, kind of, you got to get stronger, but to commune with him and to rest in him. And that grace, that merciful kindness, get this, is sufficient for us all the time in every circumstance. He tells people to rest in him, in his merciful kindness, and that grace is sufficient for us all the time in every circumstance. Not was sufficient, notice it's ongoing, it's present, is sufficient, it's sufficient yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There will never be a set of circumstances that challenges or exceeds the sufficiency of God's grace. Ever. God will never look upon your circumstances and conclude, oh, yikes, yes, I, I can see why throwing in the towel is the only solution in this case. I thought I'd seen it all, but man. This is shocking, isn't it? I mean, it is. And it's shocking because we know the depths of our weakness, some of us more than others. God's grace is sufficient even for that? Yes, it is. Abundantly yes. And here's why we can confidently rest in God's grace despite our weaknesses. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, and your weakness. My children, your weakness just is not going to undermine my plan and mission in the world. It's not. And accordingly, I'm not going to yell at you like a baseball coach looking for meaning and vicarious self-fulfillment in the performances of his players. I'm going to win without the yelling, even with all of you guys on the team. And then people will say, how is, how is he possibly winning with those guys, they are pathetic. And then they'll get it. Okay, there must be something truly magnificent about this coach. There must be something stunning and spectacular about him. And then as I win, I will magnify my power and strength in the midst of, and even because of, your weakness. And therefore, Paul says, and you can see this at the end of verse 9, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me, really dwell with me or, or be with me. I will boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ might be 
with me, might, might dwell with me. Paul is saying clearly the way to be strong is actually not to be strong, but to embrace my weakness in a way that magnifies God's strength. That's the Christian economy. There's a lot to think about here. I want to make a note about our prayer lives in particular. Right now, you know, in the contemporary West, we kind of are in this, I think, somewhat historically unique space in which our prayers, if I might suggest, are excessively focused on weakness elimination. Even though we should really be focused on asking for experiences of God's grace, regardless of our earthly circumstances. Can you pray for the pain to go away? Absolutely and amen. But ten times more than that, biblically speaking, we should be pleading with the Lord, saying, come what may, what I really want is an experience of your magnificent grace. And keep in mind that experiences of weakness actually tend to enhance our experiences of God himself as we depend on him and stand in awe of his power. And I, that sounds like a win to me. Very often, it's the weak people who are really experiencing and therefore enjoying God. Whereas the strong people, the people that get up in the morning and are impressed with themselves as when they look in the mirror, those folks are honestly experiencing themselves and trying to enjoy themselves, which, as you might be aware, is kind of a wild goose chase for the ages, and it does just not match up with the, with the splendor and the glory of God. They're looking at the mirror, they're, they're reveling in themselves, but they're concerned, rightly, that their reveling might actually be meaningless and empty. So if you want real joy, if you want real meaning, Although this, this might sound counterintuitive, our prayers should be aimed more at enjoying God's sufficient grace rather than constantly and exclusively praying for circumstantial change. What I want more than anything, Lord, is to be washed in the sufficiency of your grace. That's what I want. Those are profoundly Christian prayers. Sure, Lord, take away this pain. It's too much but then move on and say, but come what may, what I really want is an experience of your grace. The only kind of thing that really gives us joy in this life. Two clarifications before we move on and, and talk for a little bit about contentment. Number one, embracing weakness does not mean embracing our sin. Christian living involves putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit. It does involve this pursuit of holiness by the grace of God. The weaknesses Paul is talking about here are the trials of life encountered in parallel with faithful living or even because of faithful living. Those are the sorts of weaknesses that Paul has on his mind here in chapter 12. Clarification number two, embracing weakness cannot be an individualistic me-and-Jesus mentality. 
You could hear this. You can certainly hear this in our moments and think, I'm weak, but praise God, God is strong. I therefore have all that I need. So because I have all that I need, I'll just hole up in my apartment or you know, I'll, I'll travel whenever I want to without regard for, for building relationships in the body of Christ. God dispenses his sufficient grace in large part through community, through people as messed up as we are, through fellow believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are here on this earth to, among other things, minister to you. So if we want experiences of God's sufficient grace personally and corporately here at City Church, let's show up to be ministered to, and let's show up to minister to other people. I am becoming increasingly concerned that we're going to make our way, and I don't specifically mean City Church, but just people in general, I am becoming increasingly concerned that we're going to make our way through a two-plus-year pandemic, see the devastating effects of isolation, but then not really change our habits concerning community life when the opportunities present themselves. I am becoming very concerned that we're going to see all of this and return to some of the lethargy that characterized 2019. That would be devastating. Let's harness this moment. Let's say to ourselves, there is something so necessary about being with each other that God might dispense his all-sufficient grace. Now here's the thing about the sufficient grace of God in the midst of our weakness. That grace is so spectacular, it's so rich, that weak people can actually experience glorious contentment, which is our second reflection. Weak people, contentment is entirely possible. Go back to verse 8, this time reading through verse 10. Three times. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And Paul's logic in verse 10 is not difficult to follow at this point. If the power of God is going to be made perfect in my weakness, and in doing so, result in spiritual renewal here and around the world for the sake of reconciling people to God. If that's the case, then I am totally content with my weakness for the sake of Christ. Bring on the the weaknesses, the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because I know that God's power is radiating through my life and ministry. Church, it is possible to be so sold on God's mission and work in the world. Do you see this? that the only thing you need for contentment is knowledge that God is at work in you and through you and around you. Do you see this? Paul said, that's all I need to know. If that's the case, and it is, then bring on whatever. I can be content. And by the way, this is 
the only kind of content that's meaningful and able to endure. It's the only kind of contentment that's consistently available in this life. It's the only kind of contentment that isn't tethered to things that are super fragile and can be taken from you at any moment. Contentment that's anchored in anything else but this is so fragile and it's never as satisfying as we imagined it would be even when we seem to attain it. And that's why seemingly everyone these days is washed with anxiety and fear. Anxiety is not primarily the product of difficult circumstances. It is the product of unmet expectations. I thought it was going to be this way, but it's not turning out this way. Or I thought this was in store for me, and that's looking like it's really, really unlikely. So here's the uncomfortable question of the hour. We're making the argument that you can be so sold on this mission, on the work that God is doing in the world, that you can be content, come what may. Here's a question. Are we actually sold on this mission? Are we really sold on this mission? Do we actually care that God's power is is radiating in the midst of our weakness that people might become new creations in Christ who no longer live for themselves, but for him for who their sake died and was raised. It is so, so easy to pay lip service to this mission, to raise your hand and, and to say, yes, I care about this, only to find that a very minor change in your circumstances puts you into the emotional blender that the mission you really cared about was your personal mission related to vocation or family or leisure or whatever. It's so easy to pay lip service to the mission only to find that a very minor criticism stirs you up into this offended rage as you zealously defend your reputation. Are we really sold on this mission? If you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking to yourself, I I don't know if I am sold. Intellectually, I desire for God's power to radiate in the midst of my weakness that people might experience him and be reconciled to God and become new creations. Intellectually, I want that, but I don't know if I'm sold. If that's the case, how exactly do we reclaim that zeal? Or if we never had it, how do we get it? A couple of things. Number one, we have to join Paul in believing that we are genuinely the worst of sinners. We have to join Paul in believing that but by the grace of God, I would be a dead man. Ephesians chapter 2. Even though Paul was one of the most faithful missionaries who ever lived, he also had one of the most acutely sensitive awarenesses of his own sin. So we have to join Paul in actually believing that but by the grace of God, we would be spiritually dead. And then, once we see the magnitude of our sin, we join Paul in seeing the majesty of Jesus the one who became weak like us, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If we've lost our zeal, if in our heart of hearts we know we don't care all that much about God's reconciling work, the way to start caring is fresh reminder about the weight of our sin, which then accompany fresh reminders about the majesty of God's grace. We're greater sinners than we dare to imagine, but... The good news is that Jesus is a far, far greater Savior. Those kinds of realizations are the kinds of realizations that can spark renewed zeal in seeing other people locally and around the world experience this grace. Those are the kinds of things for you that can cause you to, to be so wrapped up in it that come what may in this life, you can still be content because you know that God is at work in you and through you and around you. How do I know if I'm experiencing these kinds of these changes, if the Holy Spirit is really making me care in this way? Here's what will start to happen. As I heard someone describe it basically like it, like it this week, they said, People are experiencing this kind of realization. They will be very shy about themselves, but they'll be very bold about Jesus. They'll be shy about themselves, but they'll be very bold about Jesus. And our church will become this, this space in which, and I'm kind of reappropriating a, the, the mission statement of, a, of another ministry and making it ours for the sake of our time this morning. Our church will become a, a place in which we exist to spread gospel renewal to weak people through weak people by the power of God. That's the kind of culture we'll have in our church. We'll be shy about ourselves. We'll be bold about Jesus. And then we'll exist to spread gospel renewal to weak people through weak people by the power of God. And we will experience this powerful, consistent sense of contentment, even when our earthly circumstances are in the blender. And we'll be the kind of people, I saw this just a couple of weeks ago. I, I mentioned I was, uh, again, my, my mom got remarried a couple Sundays ago when I was uh, in Orlando for the wedding, and I saw my Uncle Jeff and Angie for the first time in a couple of years. Um, they're not technological kind of people, so they're not even going to hear this. I feel very confident. So unless you tell them about this, they're not going to know, okay? Um, but I was just, they love the heck out of Jesus. And one of the things that I, I just noticed is that despite all of the weakness that they've endured for the past nine years, and there is a, there is a long list of things I could mention, despite all of that, there they were at this 
wedding ceremony and reception, which was very difficult for them, as you could imagine. This is my Uncle Jeff, the, the brother of my dad, and so there's a lot of, of, of grieving going on, and even though it's beautiful, but it's hard, it's all this, this wash of emotions. But even though he was experiencing all this, he was the whole time, and th- this is not hyperbole, the two of them were just going around to people, ministering to them with, with just careful questions and Tell me about how you're doing. And, and, and I, don't th- I don't think they are rock stars at Sanford University, folks. They're in the, in the Department of Music. They're just they're held in such high regard, but you would never know it. They were there ministering to people, asking good questions, listening, telling people about Jesus, praying with people. And I think possibly more content than anybody else in the room. So if you're weak, that kind of contentment is very possible. You can see it in the lives of people, like Jeff and Angie. It doesn't mean your difficult circumstances will change. It doesn't mean your weaknesses will go away. They might be even more profound. But contentment is possible if you care about God's mission and you're so captured by that, that come what may, you're still delighted and the work that God is doing in you, through you and around you. Amen. Jesus knew about our weakness. Again, he came to earth and became weak like us. And so one of the things that he did while he was here on this earth is he prescribed a meal to be celebrated regularly, a meal for weak people. And during a meal, Jesus shared with his disciples on the night that he was to be betrayed, he described it like this. He said, as he took the bread, this is my body given for you, broken for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. And then in a similar manner after the meal, Jesus took the cup and as he poured it, he said, this cup is a new covenant. In my blood, do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. And Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Weak people proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again because Jesus, though he became weak, is ultimately so strong that he rose again in victory and ascended to the presence of the Father and in very great power, he will return. And when he does, he will take his weak people into the very presence of God. He will live in a city for the rest of our eternity in which there is no more weakness. We will experience the blissful presence of God in ways that I cannot even describe. If you are a follower of Jesus, come and be nourished by these reminders. In just a second, I'm going to pray. Then you're going to find a deacon or an elder on either side of this table. They'll have a bowl. And when you approach them after the prayer, they'll hand you a wafer. And then you can pivot and take a cup off of this table. And you can take those elements here. Uh, You can kneel up here if you want. Or you can go back into your seat and and eat and drink there if you'd like. Then after we finish our communion service, uh, the elder or deacon will be back in the lobby. And they're available as well to pray with you. We love praying with you. If you're here and you would not say that you're a follower of Jesus, 
Uh, I hope that this has given you some things to chew on to think about, that Christians don't think of themselves as particularly strong people, but as weak people with a very, very, very strong Savior. So if you're not thinking that you're strong enough for Christianity, you're in luck. It's for you. It's precisely for you. Let me pray for us. Lord, we do give you praise for this passage, praise for this meal. I'm a weak preacher. You're a very strong Savior, and you can use even weak efforts to do miraculous things. And so would you do a miraculous work? May your spirit work in such a way as we participate in this meal that people would be spiritually fortified and changed. We know your spirit is at work around us and in us, and so catalyze great things in us as we approach the table and take this meal. Convict us of sin so that we might own it, bring it to the light, repent of it, and freshly enjoy the sufficient grace of God. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Please join us and stand as we sing together. joy 
righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to his. And oh, how strange and deep. I can sing all is mine. 
it's a pleasure to worship with you this morning. Uh, we want to remind you of our uh, baptism celebration uh, this afternoon, right after the second service. Please join us there. Listen to the word of God and his benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. I know. 